Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. You know, over the course of the uh, three seasons of this podcast, one of the themes that we oftentimes come, come back to is what are the needs of today's students? And one of the stories that we've not probed deeply is the needs of students as they change over their arc as a student. So when they make transitions, for example, going from high school to college, how do their needs change and how do we need to think about that as being a unified story rather than two separate chapters in a person's experience? The guest that I had today is Richard Barth, who is CEO of the KIPP Foundation, a nonprofit network of over 240 college preparatory public charter schools. Mr. Barth has led the KIPP Foundation since 2005, and during his tenure, the KIPP network of schools has grown from 45 to 242, now serving over 100,000 students. And, and the reason that I asked uh, Mr. Barth to come on is because he thinks very carefully about this transition from high school to college and how to make that successful. So Richard, thank you for being on the program today. Thank you for having me. So so excited to be with you. So I want to start um, for, um, although your KIPP network schools are literally around the entire country, I, I'm sure that there's going to be listeners that maybe are not in a, in a city where there's a KIPP program. Can you talk a little bit about the philosophy of the KIPP schools and especially what you mean when you say that you're a public charter college preparatory school? What does that mean um, from the mission of your organization? Got it. Um, so let me start with just a quick definition on, on a public charter school. Um, we are public schools, open enrollment, meaning um, anyone um, can enroll at a KIPP school in all locations where we um, have our, have our uh, schools. Uh, we're free. Um, and uh, there's, there's no selection process. There's no admission process whatsoever. So, um, we are, uh, you know, governed by and responsible to um, the states that have um, made it possible to open uh, public charter schools. What they've also done is they've allowed us to have um, school boards um, that oversee our schools, made up of citizens from the communities in which we work, um, and they give us uh, core freedoms around um, being able to choose our school design and our school model. And they say, as a result, as part of that, we need to make sure we have a contract with the state that says, here are the outcomes we're going to deliver. And um, if we don't deliver them, the state can hold us accountable, just like any public school. Mm-hmm. So I want to make the emphasis here is on public uh, in the, in the, when we talk about public charter schools, these are public schools. And then KIPP, you know, we have 242 of these schools. We're serving children as young as three and as old as 18 and 19 in our high schools. Um, and um, we're committed to building a um, public school system that provides young people from all across the country access to an academically excellent, joyful um, academic experience and uh, preparing them for uh, to lead a fulfilled life and to build a more just world. And so this, this question of transitions is a hugely important one for us because to ensure our um, KIPP alumni are really leaving us prepared to lead that fulfilled life, to pursue the path of their own choosing. Uh, we have to make sure we get all these key um, points of intersection and potentially points where schools can lose kids right. And that's a, that's a big part of what we do at KIPP. And over the last decade, we've 
we've tried to get better and better at that. I noticed on your website, um, the topic of joy came up um, in, in, in the description of your mission and um, what the, the school experience is like. And I was really struck by that because I study one of the things that I do research on is emotionality and educational settings. So, you know, to be reading a website and have joy come out and, and hit you um, was just really interesting. Um, what are things that, that you try to do um, either in particular schools in your network or across your network that you would describe as, as contributing to that sense of joy for students? You bet. So, so let me start with, you know, in our, in our, on our best days, we believe um, that our kids should be running to school. Hmm. Like when we're doing our job, right? Like kids are running to school and we know there's a lot of competition for their attention out there. You know that um, watching what's, what's unfolding. I have my own children in my own house. So um, that's a high bar for kids to really want to run to school. What it does call on us to do is to make sure um, the experience from the minute they, they step foot in the door, how they're greeted, how they're made to feel welcome, um, to uh, the level of uh, engagement our teachers have in their um, lives, um, to the offerings we have, both academic and um, co-curricular. So. Sometimes there's a, there's a, we think there's a myth out there that everything is always in tension. You have to make a choice that you're academically excellent um, or you can be joyful. Well, we have um, football teams that are competing for championships. We have basketball teams, obviously, it's now in the winter. We have um, incredible drama programs and arts programs. Um, we have uh, uh, cheerleaders that are going to Disney uh, competitions and winning. Uh, so we, we really believe that um, if you want school um, to, to feel joy and you want children to feel joy, you have to make sure you've got the, the full rich set of offerings. Mm-hmm. That's why we typically have a longer day, a longer year, because um, for our kipsters, as, as we call our, <laughs> our students, we want them we want them to feel like um, there's something in this for them, even if not every class may be the class they love the most, um, that there's uh, something in that day that really makes them run to school. And we ask them regularly, uh, you know, we survey our kids every year and we survey our parents every year, we survey our families every year and we ask them, you know, how are we doing? And um, one of the biggest uh, indicators um, is that people come back year after year. And we can talk more about that because those key junctures, particularly the juncture between mm-hmm. eighth and ninth, ninth grade and then what happens after 12th grade um, are proving to be absolutely pivotal, pivotal in the lives of our kids. The one other thing I'll I'll just say here, which you know you, you you said you were struck on the website, you know when we created our refreshed really our mission this year, we talked to over six thousand members of the Kip team and family. We talked to families, we talked to parents, we talked to current students, we talked to Kip alum all across the country. We talked to our teachers and we said, what do you want um, Kip to stand for? What do you want it to be about? And we couldn't have heard more clearly the desire to to be going after both a joyful education and academically excellent. I don't want to lose sight of the academic excellence, but we think on our best days, we're pulling them both together and, and creating an opportunity for our kids that um, hopefully is uh, transformational hmm. and not simply how do we get through the day. 
you mentioned that you have a longer school day and longer school year. What does it actually mean? Like, what, what's it, what time does a typical day start? How many hours are they there? And then, you know, what's the calendar year yeah. look like for the schools? Yeah. So it it um, the reality is because we are in twenty different states in Washington yeah, they're D.C. Yeah. <laughs> they're different. The calendars are are quite different. Um, but let me say this: typically, you know, what what you um, often will see is that our students will be with us, depending what part of the country they're in, uh, an extra. Um, 45 minutes to an hour a day mm-hmm. um, and um, and then an extra uh, couple weeks into what historically might be you, you and I would call the summer mm-hmm. and um, when we talk about more time at KIPP we're really talking about more time um, that allows us to offer both the you know outstanding core curriculum and then co-curriculars you can't do both um, if you don't if you don't put in and allow for more time and the more time also allows us for intensive, ongoing uh, teacher coaching and professional development. Again, if you start cutting into that, um, uh, the length of the day and length of the mm-hmm. year, you're not able to provide our teachers with what we know they need. So um, that varies a little bit state to state, but typically 45 minutes to an hour and then um, a couple extra weeks in the summer. Sure. So as we start to um, transition our conversation a little bit, you all describe yourselves as explicitly college preparatory. Um, Before we talk about that issue of the transition, which I think is just really important and and fascinating um, from the the work that you all have done in trying to, you know, understand your own students and what they experience. But before we get to that, so if I'm a student in a KIPP school, and in fact, I looked and there's one um, about an hour and 20 minutes up the road in Columbus from where I'm at in Athens. So if I was a student in that school, Based upon the website, it sounds like I would be working very closely, not just with the faculty, but also a counselor um, to help me figure out how to become college ready. Can you talk about the importance of sort of the holistic staff environment in in your school's culture in preparing the student for the next step? Absolutely. And uh, and so let's let, let me let me, you know, start by just a reminder for for our listeners. Um KIPP schools, 240 plus, 20 states, uh, K through 12, um, 95% of our um, student body right now are African American, Latino, or Asian American, um, and over 85% are eligible for free and reduced lunch. So um, I want to talk about this access to, to, to counseling um, because it's it's really make or break given that so many of our uh, students um, depend on this for the for guidance as they plan out their st- steps after high school. So um, we have a team at KIPP. We call them KIPP through college and career counselors. Um, they, in our high schools, are working with students through um, the advisory program. In some places, you might people might call them homerooms. We call them advisory mm-hmm. um, over the course of four years. One of the things we know is if you are really serious with a young person about um, them being able to plan their future, um, they need to be able to visualize um, that future far before their senior year. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, their families have to be able to visualize that future and what that could look like far before their senior year. And all too often in America, we've seen this particularly with the children in cities where we work, the first time they're hearing about you know college and what it could mean and how you'd apply to it is senior year. Mm-hmm. 
um, sometimes they're not even provided guidance as to um, that you need to actually register to take, for example, the ACT, um, or that you absolutely have to complete your FAFSA forms um, for financial aid eligibility by certain deadlines. And that, depending on what state you're in and what your state public college system requires, you need to make sure you've gotten your courses lined up um, so that um, you're eligible uh, to apply to um, your state system. And you might not even know that your GPA, not just your courses, but your GPA really matters in terms of admissions to the college of your choosing and your field of study. All of that um, is too often um, not taken care of until too late in the game for hundreds of thousands of young people all across the country and probably right right there in Ohio. And um, it's really a, really a, a huge uh, challenge when we're talking about children who are going to be the first in their family to consider um, going into higher education. So at KIPP, our counselors are working. Um, unlike in the traditional system where the ratio is now more and more like 500 to 1 on a 100 to 1 basis um, and meeting through advisory over the course of four years to plan their future. Hmm. They're getting exposure to careers, not just college for college. They're thinking like, what, are the, what is the world of career out there? They use a tool called U-Science, um, which is a self-discovery tool, both aptitude and interest that the kids love. They get to discover both, you know, a little bit more about what makes them tick and what teenager doesn't like to understand more about what makes them tick. They love it. Yeah. But it also gives them a picture of what does that mean for you in terms of the opportunities um, in your backyard? What's going on in Ohio? It actually links you, helps you understand what are the emerging careers um, that many in, in, in a high school, many counselors and, and teachers wouldn't even have a full understanding of this. So you're doing this through ninth and 10th grade. You're beginning to understand who you are, what makes you tick. You're also understanding very explicitly through your advisory, hey, this is where your GPA is. This is where your GPA would need to be. And I'll use examples just because, you know, you're in Ohio. So if you wanted to go to the Ohio State University, we make sure you understand. I mean, that's the flagship institution. That is going to be a very um, competitive process. Here's where your GPA needs to be. Here's where your ACT scores need to be. You can be planning for that um, when you're 15 years old and understanding where you are relative to that goal. Um, junior year, you're really going into a robust um, uh, discovery uh, now that you know what you're interested in, who you know, who you want to be a little bit more in the world. Um, you're beginning to uh, frame out your college wish list, and we do something at KIPP that affluent kids all across the country do all the time, which is we build out a, a broad list, and we have data from all of our years of experience at KIPP and public available, publicly available data that helps you understand, okay, if this is your GPA, um, Richard, and this is your uh, ACT score, here are a range of institutions to which you can mm -hmm. apply. Mm -hmm. And you should be applying to not just one or two, but typically more than six, and typically on different levels of selectivity. So this has been a huge part um, of our ability at this point to deliver college graduation rates that are four times what is typical of the students with whom we work four times. And I want to say that like five years ago, if we were having this discussion, I wouldn't be able to describe any of what I've described today or not close to it hmm. because we really were at the beginning of the, of this stage. Mm -hmm. I remember vividly in, in again, in 2015, 2014, I was in um, 
Austin, Texas, and I met a young uh, woman who's a senior at our high school there in Austin, and she said, I said, oh, what are you up to? She said, well, I'm finishing my college application. And I said, well, to where are you applying? And she said, um, I'm applying to Austin Community College and Harvard University. <laughs> and I said, and that's it? She said, yep, that's it. I said, okay, that's an interesting two choices. There's a lot of other schools you could be at. So we've, we've taken uh, from a starting point where we were giving really um, gu- guidance that was artistic at best, um, really caring people, really close to our, our uh, relationally to our kids, but didn't have a, um, an understanding of how this world was working. To uh, today, now 75% of our kids um, are applying to six or more schools using this approach. Mm-hmm. And I want to emphasize one more thing. I think it's just so important for, for listeners to understand this. So we've taken this approach where young people are, through the course of their first couple years of high school, beginning to discover who they are, what they like, what, what courses they enjoy, what careers are out there. Um, he's one thing start understanding like what what could be really visualizing um, you know what what the world could look like for them 10 years down the road then they're beginning to really understand okay how does the college process work and what would it take to get into different institutions how does financial aid work we're having families um, understand how this all works not spring of senior year that's too late but actually all through junior year mm-hmm. when they come back uh, for senior year they're off and running but we view this all as part of the journey to leading a fulfilled life and building a more just world. Not everyone will go to college right away. Not everyone will want to go to college right away, you know, right away. But um, everyone should have the chance to understand how that does work and whether they'd want to pursue that next. And they also deserve the option to understand how going to college and what you choose to study in college ties to your, your personal interests and plans. And the lack of that information is really um, one of the worst things we can do to young people today. And far too often, young people leave us at age 17, 18 from our high schools, really not having understanding of what makes them tick and what's coming next Mm -hmm. and why. And that's what we're hoping to do through this advisory, through our KIPP through college and career counseling. You made so many great points in that. I I just wanted to add um, one additional datum from my perspective, you know, because I, I, I talk to, to the students and their parents from the other direction. So they'll, you know, I'll have 40 people in my building on a given day um, that are interested in coming to Ohio University and majoring in a communication major of some type. And when they actually start asking questions about how to do certain things, all the things that you mentioned, the financial aid aspect, the, you know, what needs to go into my um, admission essay, you know, all those things that are at the forefront of their minds, it becomes so clear that, um, you know, higher education, but, but I would argue a lot of the education system as a whole has become complex enough that you have to have people to help you navigate through it, even if you went through it yourself. So when you and I went to school, it wasn't at all like it is now. And, you know, if we were going back and if I just went through this with my daughter, if we were going back and having to re-navigate our own college education, um, we would have to have help. There's no question about that. You, you are sorry. It is a lot more, um, it is a lot more complicated. There are a lot more variables. Again, if financial aid is going to be part of your life, mm-hmm. that's a big variable. Understanding, and you know this too, when you probably talk to young people, um, even making sure um, you know our high school juniors understand the big difference between ticker price and net price. Yes, yes, um, yes. 
it's it's really like we have all sorts of situations where families will say, well, we can't apply to Ohio, we can't apply to you know uh, Colorado State. We can like we, we we heard that tuition is this, and then we explain, well, that's you know the the most anyone could pay. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually able to tell them last year, um, tipsters uh, with your family uh, economic background paid this. We're actually give them, able to give them that number, and then they realize, oh, okay, this is this is something we could consider. So it's 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 there's so many more variables, um, and when you actually receive your, your and you you probably seen this a number of times when you actually receive your your offer of admission with your financial award, um, those letters are very confusing. We've we've sat with members of the TIP National Board of Directors, and they're incredibly serious people successful in their fields and we've shown them we've whited out the names and said here are three offer letters for one child here's data on the schools what choice should they make hmm. it was really hard i mean the, everyone struggled to figure out what what choice to make so we have young just to your point 17 18 year olds having to take in a lot of information and make really important uh, decisions and we're hoping to make it somewhat easier i don't want to claim we're making it easy but we're hoping to make it somewhat easier and I think as a country, we all have so much more to do um, to ensure, um, you know, aging olds are leaving us making strong first choices. Um, and we also know that when they don't, um, there can be a lot of negative effects, you know, that can impact um, all these young people sure. over the next decade. They can, they can go and drop out. They can decide not to go, but not for good reasons. Mm-hmm. So we're working, we're working to, to you know, make sure those things aren't happening for our kids. So that's probably a good segue to talking about the report um, that the KIPP Foundation released uh, in 2019. So for listeners, the report is titled The Promise of Choice-Filled Life, Meeting Students' College and Career Needs from Classroom to Congress. And we will have a link to that in the text accompanying the podcast so that you can read the report, um, which is really great work. And so one of the compelling things about the report is that a lot of it is based upon data um, and information that that you all got from your alumni, the KIPP alumni. So in talking about that, um, Richard, what were some examples of barriers that KIPsters encountered when they went to college? I mean, you all are obviously doing a lot to prepare them in every way possible, but they still encounter barriers. What are some of those that they encounter, you know, once they step off of your campus and onto my campus? Got it. So um, such a great question. So I think... um, We've been lucky, and we're not lucky, we've been fortunate. We stay in touch with our alums. So we're able to survey every year um, KIPP alums who are going to college to find out how they're doing. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, in the first big survey we did, we asked them, how are things working financially? Again, these are vast majority, first generation, first time family to go to college. And um, we discovered things were really not that easy, right? And um, I work at KIPP, right? Here I am working at KIPP for 14 years. And I was shocked to find out um, that, you know, a quarter of our uh, hipsters are um, responsible for someone else's financial well-being in their family while they're a college student. And uh, 40% of our um, college students reported um, skipping meals weekly Hmm. and being hungry. Um, So that was a wake-up call for us in terms of how are we setting them up in our guidance and in, their, in the choices they're making so that they're not in a situation where they're making trade-offs between 
materials and supplies and books for school and eating. Um, those were big, um, big wake up calls for us. The next year we learned a lot. So finance is really important. And that means we, we need to do a better job before they leave us helping them plan that out and reducing the chance they'll find themselves in those situations. The next year we asked them like, how do they feel on campus? And we've learned a lot uh, through asking them this directly. So, um, we learned that, um, again, 95% of our, our kids are uh, students of color and that um, on some campuses, they feel much more welcome and feeling like they belong than others. There are factors that contribute to this that institutions can be, can be thinking about. Um, obviously, we saw that um, historically black colleges or African-American alums felt like they belonged um, to a greater degree. Um, we found on campuses where they were likely to run into or bump into another KIPP alum, they felt like they were more likely to belong. Mm-hmm. So um, that that speaks to our efforts to um, identify campuses that we think we can um, build a partnership with and increase um, the number of KIPPsters who go there. So now, you know, we have 97 college partners and roughly a third of our senior class will go to a college partner institution. And that allows us to address, not just reduce their sense of isolation, um, reduce um, any sense of them wondering whether they belong there, but we've also learned um, that uh, we can build relationships with campuses to talk about Mm -hmm. what are things on colleges we can do. So we've learned, as an example, having uh, first-generation kids um, show up to, to your college potentially a week before anyone else does and getting very comfortable and familiar to the campus. Right. Having a summer environment makes a big difference. They feel settled in. Mm-hmm. Again, this question of whether they feel like they belong here or not starts to be mitigated. The summer programs after junior year before senior year of high school, hugely beneficial for kids to get a feel for the campus, to understand um, what this might be like going to class. Um, they leave feeling, particularly many of them have positive experiences, feeling like, I know this place, I can feel, I feel comfortable here. Um, uh, we've seen uh, access to um, a single point of contact who can be um, working with uh, students um, to address you know, issues that might sometimes require multiple departments to get involved. So sometimes a, a student will be told, you haven't paid this bill, they will have paid it or they believe they paid it. And now they're running around between two or three, four departments. And it's no one's fault, but we all know what that could be like. Well, we may know it's going to get work, worked out, but a student might actually start to feel like, okay, maybe I'm not in the right place. What is this telling me that I haven't been able to resolve this issue? Um, and then lastly, we've learned a lot where um, colleges, uh, by having a, a more direct uh, point of contact with their students, also um, are beginning to do a lot of cool things around um, these micro-grants. Mm-hmm. And what we've all learned, and this isn't a KIPP-specific thing, um, what we've all learned is that for many of our kids, the difference between persisting in college and then hopefully graduating college and not can come down to very specific moments in their life where something's going on at home and um, they may have to return home for a bit, they may have to um, support somewhere else in their family. And they end up potentially um, leaving college um, and not coming back for you know a sum of three or four hundred dollars that they can't scrape mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. 
And we are finding that um, if we can create uh, opportunities for people to see when that's happening and for colleges and us together to see when that's happening and get them those three to four hundred dollars, they stay on course, they graduate, and now here they're off and running. So it's one of our biggest learnings is that sometimes you think these problems are of huge proportions, right? There's just an overwhelming challenge. How are we going to solve for it? And the reality is when you get into the details, you discover there's lots of little things a week in the summer, having a point of contact, micro grants for someone who faces an emergency can be the difference between a student first in their family to arrive at your campus and graduate and a student who arrives, same academic preparation, no different academic preparation, and does not make it through because those ingredients aren't in place. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see that, um, you know, being a dean, when we're when we have students in crises, um, Sure. Sometimes it's it's big um, in in various ways, but you're absolutely right that sometimes it's that they have to figure out how to get a hold off of their, you know, enrollment so that they can enroll in classes because of some hole that has gotten put on there. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's something else. But typically, it's just helping them get over that hump that causes them to finish. I think it's great that you're collecting data on that. And um, there was one other aspect of the report, and of course, we don't have enough time to go into all the great details that's in there, but there was an interesting concept that you all wrote about that I had not run across um, in stuff that I'd read before. It's where you talked about undermatching um, in terms of the connection between the student and the university that they end up going to. Can you describe that concept in, in a little bit for the listeners, because I found that really interesting and started thinking about it a lot, a lot from my perspective. A- a- absolutely. So um, we have found uh, that we will have um, these terrific juniors and seniors in our high schools. Um, they will left their own device, apply to a handful of colleges they've heard of, they know about, and not actually step back and apply to the full range of schools to which I'm academically competitive. So that's the first thing we discovered. So you're under a plot. We think you could get into um, a college that, you know, has a selection rate um, of, you know, 40%, four out of 10 applicants will get into. You may not apply to it. Well, we're encouraging you to go for it. Mm-hmm. The second thing we're doing, which is so important, is so now you've applied to six schools, let's say Richard has applied to six schools, and now I've gotten in. And one school has a graduation rate of uh, 70%. Another school has a graduation rate of 40%. And in many cases, we discovered that here I am, Richard, I make this, I look at this choice and I end up enrolling the school that graduates far fewer of our loans than the other one to which I've been admitted. That's undermatching. Here you've got a school that's offered admission that is got a, a terrific track record with our alums, first-generation students, and you've now chosen a school that has a much less successful track record with our alums. Undermatching. It happens every year. Now, we're now trying to do something about it. And in our report, we describe, I think, some of our undermatching uh, grants we've been doing. So we've been testing. We have found people who said in different cities where we're working, hey, when a child has two college options, and one is, let's say, has a graduation rate, a college of 20 points or more greater than the other college to which they've been admitted. I want to know 
if money is the only reason why mm-hmm. they're not going to go to the more competitive college. And if that is it, I want the opportunity to make up the difference. So now we've done this in, in New Orleans, we've done this in Houston, we've done this in Washington, D.C., we're doing this in cities across the country, and it works. And hmm. what we've discovered, similar to a, a, a micro-grant when a child faces a challenge or crisis while they're in school, we're finding that um, the difference of two or $3,000 can be the difference even in one school or another that has a far greater likelihood of success and now we're tracking um, our alums who have gotten this match grant um, to go to the higher match school, the higher performing school, and they're outperforming. Mm-hmm. And so this is something you imagine all across the country, right? All across the country is happening with high school seniors who are getting into different schools. And the only reason they're not going to go to the school that probably might have the better program for them, may have the better major for them, better success rate is a, a difference in their um, financial aid package of $2,000, $3,000. That should not be the reason why someone makes that choice. And that's why we've built this, this matching program uh, to make sure they apply um, to the full range of schools to which we think they're competitive and prepared. And, and now on the financial side, try to make sure that a few thousand dollars is not the difference in why they go to their first choice or not. Sure. This is a, you know, some, it's, it's, it's important and something we're trying to make sure we're educating, not just um, TIP students about, but we're now working with um, school districts across the country, working with the Newark Public Schools, the New York City Public Schools, Miami-Dade, we work with San Antonio, because there's nothing about our, our advisory process and our matching process that is proprietary. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about it. Like everyone can, can benefit from this. This thing that all kids can benefit from, and we really, really, we really want to make sure um, that high school students across the country um, are not um, undermatching and under-realizing their full potential um, for you know matters of a couple thousand dollars a year, or for not applying to colleges um, that they really have earned the right of admission to. Now that we've um, talked about colleges in a little bit more detail. I, I noticed that your network has um, college partners that are, you know, not part of the KIPP, you know, organization, but they're affiliated in the sense that they have a, you know, more formal connection with you. Um, what is it, you know, how do universities become connected with KIPP? You know, is there a process to it? Um, how, do the, how does that matchmaking take place? Yeah. So we have, it's a great question. We have, um, as you saw on our, our website and our report, we have 97 college partners. Um, the big idea there, again, is we're trying to find institutions that are really committed to seeing um, students just like ours succeed and working with us. And that's what it means to be a partner. Um, we have national partners and we have local partners. National partners typically are highly selective institutions that um, um, are you know, most academically precocious and hardest, most driven kidsters, just like you know any group, any high school kids in the country. We have kids just like that who ready to take on the world when they're 16 and they're hmm. super focused and um, super achievement oriented. And so we have uh, partners like UPenn and Duke and Georgetown. So, you know, as we speak today, we have, um, you know, over 40 uh, Kipsters at Duke. We have over 40 Kip alums at Penn. We have over 20 Kip alums at Georgetown. Um, uh, we have 10 Kip alums at Bowdoin College in Maine. Um, these are uh, partners that 
um, are excited to work with us. And um, we now have this really sort of awesome dynamic where Kipsters who have graduated a year or two above now in, in a year or two into college are coming back and telling their um, their underclassmen friends, hey, this is really a special place to go to. So that's the, the national college partners. We then have local college partners where we're building relationships regionally and at the state level um, to which we think we can have, you know, really significant numbers of kids uh, attending school. Um, and the goal there is to um, build a relationship, try to identify this single point of contact, this person who can um, be our go-to person if we hear a kid running into something, which we know will happen. Um, and these institutions are public and private. Again, generally, they're more focused on, you know, kids in Ohio who are going to go to college in Ohio, which mm-hmm. the majority of our kids will stay home. Mm-hmm. Will not stay home, but they'll stay in state right. um, within 200 miles of home. So um, we've got uh, college partners from, you know, we have, you know, highly selective state institutions like UT Austin, where we have, you know, I think now over 75 um, Kipsters, maybe 100, um, Texas A&M, University of Houston. Um, uh, so you've got, um, you know, big, big institutions in the states where we're, we have lots of kids in California. We have a whole number of ones with um, some of our, our UC partners. So, Richard, the last question that I want to ask you is a bit more personal about you. I mean, you've had a career in education for, you know, a while now, and, and you've been a leader, um, not just for the KIPP Foundation, but you, you, you've you led in ways that, you know, that touches all of us. As you think about your own career as being a policy reform advocate in the field of education, you know, what are some wins that you've been able to be a part of that sticks out in your mind? And, and also, you know, what do you think we need to do to elevate our commitment to promoting student success natural, nationally going into the future? Yeah. Um, so I think on the, on the policy front, you know, our, um, our big issues that we're focused on have to do with college access, college success. Um, and then um, the uh, ability for schools like ours to, um, you know, open and serve uh, students who really have big dreams and make sure we can keep keep growing um, in communities across the country. On the college access and uh, college success, you know, we are um, going to be frontline um, folks, you know, battling and continuing to fight. Uh, on college affordability, and that means both uh, Pell uh, grants and uh, work study are really important priorities for us. Um, and we're going to raise our voice. We've talked to folks in higher ed extensively, and they've welcomed us to bring our voice to work. And so we are on the Hill regularly talking about that. When the Higher Education Authorization Act comes up, we will be um, uh, among the folks out there talking about how much and and work study really means for our mm-hmm. kids. We think there are improvements in those programs that we should be battling for, but the number one thing is to make sure um, they are there. They right. are essentially the way for kids like ours are going to pay for college. The second thing um, we're going to be working on is um, seeing if we can't uh, uh, build legislation to um, ensure that kids are not um, you know, missing out on opportunities because they're working in the high schools where college counseling is done on a 500 to one basis. Mm-hmm. When you have college counseling on a 500 to one basis, you will be lucky if you have a single, you know, conversation of any substance uh, once a year, single conversation a year. We're talking about the, your future. 
right? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? How do you want to, you know, pursue your dreams? And maybe you'll get a 20 minute one-on-one conversation. And the human element here is huge. So we'd love to see um, legislation to um, promote reducing that ratio, at least down to 200 to one, um, so that students have actually a chance for really good guidance. The information is there. If they can sit with a adult a few times a year for more than that 15 minutes, it's gonna make a big difference. Um, and then uh, we are on the front lines uh, ensuring also that our um, DACA students are, are dreamers, and we have many of them in our schools, um, also are able to access um, higher education and pursue their dreams. Mm-hmm. They're here in this country. Um, they didn't choose to come. They didn't, uh, uh, you know, they were often very little uh, children at the time, and um, they have so much to offer this country, and the country has so much to benefit from them, and we want to make sure um, after all the hard work they do, they're able to continue their education and go on to college and, and graduate. Those are a few of the things we're working on right now. Those are all really great. And anytime you'd like to come back and talk about um, any of those issues uh, so that we could get more people involved in, you know, helping you advocate, you know, at a grassroots level, I think that would be wonderful to do because it's so important for, you know, students to be able to have a, have a fair chance. And sometimes that means that we have to provide supports like what you're providing at KIPP, you know, to a greater number of students. I'd love to help if, if we can in any way as you're doing that. Thank you. The other thing I would say before we close is, you know, when I was learning about your schools and your philosophy and hearing you talk today, one of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years in trying to work with area schools around, you know, in Appalachian, Ohio, around Athens, is, you know, the silos that we talk about within academia. Um, There's a different type of silo that happens in the transition from high school to college where the faculty in high school are not talking with the faculty in college, the administrators are not talking. Um, And one of the cool things that I learned about your foundation and the schools in your foundation and the report that you did is you all are actively trying to overcome that that barrier. And I just want to commend you on that because I I know that from my perspective as somebody that, um, you know, works as a as someone that wants to recruit students like like yours, um, having that conversation across that secondary to higher ed boundary is so important um, for all of us and, and most specifically for our students. And so I just want to commend the work that you're doing and and really give you a shout out for that because it's um, I, I think it needs to happen on a much wider scale. And um, I'm trying to do my little part in Southeast Ohio, but I just applaud the work that you're doing nationally. It's, it's you know, uh, I will just thank, thank you for applauding it. But I think for all of us, and just to echo what you're saying, the more we can get people to, you know, really pay attention to the fact that, um, you know, we have millions of young people who are going to enter um, uh, adult life. And we've let these worlds um, really not, not be connected in any way, the world of high school mm-hmm. to college. And as anyone who's been a parent will tell you, um, you know, the day after your child graduated from high school, they didn't take some magic potion and become all of a sudden this dramatically different person. So we may true. wish they do, but it doesn't happen, right? <laughs> right? They're just they're still that they're still they're still a kid, and yet the institutions operate as if they are. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Richard, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and um, 
Wish you all the best. Thanks for having me. You bet. My guest today was Richard Barr, CEO of the Kip Foundation. If you want to learn more about the Kip Foundation schools or to read the 2019 report on recommendations for higher education, which I highly recommend, both of the links um, can be found in the text accompanying this podcast. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. This program is produced by WOUB Public Media. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen. But of course, we're also available on all the popular podcasting apps you would have on your phone. You can contact us through our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook, search for Teaching Matters Podcast, and send us a message. If you would like to um, be considered for a guest or have an idea for a topic um, or just want to give feedback um, on things that you've heard. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. He's in the studio with us today. I'm Scott Titsworth. Thank you for listening.